Amen. You may be seated. Once again, just a few scriptures <clears throat> to read today. They're on page 9 in your bulletin. <clears throat> From Psalm 24. I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. <clears throat> then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. From Proverbs, Proverbs 26. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And from 2 Thessalonians 3, <clears throat> Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is the word of the Lord. And we pray, Lord, now that you will work as always in us by your spirit and bring forth fruit in us by your word. In Jesus we ask, amen. <clears throat> so let's imagine as we begin today a, a bright young 12-year-old in our midst. We've got bunches of young people, shouldn't be too hard. And this 12-year-old is, as 12-year-olds do, sailing that choppy water between, from childhood to adulthood, right? Difficult, difficult years. And this 12-year-old will have begun to discover some things about herself that were always true, actually, but only now in that sort of adolescent stage of life, she begins to be self-conscious about these things about herself. And one thing she will have begun to discover is that she has a head that can know things. Like, children know things, but at some point you start to realize, I'm a knower. I, I'm able to know. And it's not just, I don't just have a brain that sort of has data, you can, you know, input data into my brain. I have a mind that can think. I can reflect on what people tell me. I can understand things, maybe even better than my parents sometimes, or better than, you know, other 12-year-olds sometimes. And with that kind of understanding of things, with my head working, I can begin to pass judgment on things with my mind, that that is true and that is false, that is good and that is bad. And with that discovery, that I'm able to sort of pass judgment on things, this 12-year-old will begin to discover that she also has a heart she always had feelings, emotions, desires, but you'll, you kind of wake up to that and you start to realize, I am a lover. I can love and I can hate. I have desire and I'm repulsed by things because I have a heart. And this 12-year-old will also have begun to discover that at the far reaches of herself, kind of the extremities we call them, she has hands that are obviously made to work. So we not only have heads that know and hearts that love, we have hands that can work and can actually change things in the world, that I can make a difference. I can leave a mark on the world. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, the Bible says, do it with your strength, because there is no work. For that matter, there's no thought or knowledge or wisdom in the place of the dead to which you are going. Now, this issue of the hand, this next piece in our humanity, and working with our hands, this is really on my heart, because, beloved, Jesus has saved our hands. He saved our hands. He bought our hands with his blood. And I, yet I find that the issue of work is one, it is one of two major life topics on which I find very often that the thinking of young Christians about work is not recognizably Christian. And this is really on my heart. A lot of times when I talk to young, not always, but a lot of times when I talk to young Christians, when they talk about work, there's nothing recognizably Christian in what they say. What is work? Well, for many people today, most people, I would say work is your job. And so work means job, and job means paycheck, right? Let's be real. I have a job, and the point of having that job very often is I need to make money. So work equals job, and job equals paycheck. And that's kind of the end of it for some people. But most of us, I think, have a little bit bigger view of work than just it's the job I'm currently doing. Probably for many of us, when we think about what is work, we would say work is my career. A career is bigger than the job I'm currently doing because a career is this thing that in many ways is going to define me for most of my life. And when people ask me at parties, so Ben, what do you do? <laughs> what are they asking? They don't care about the rest of my life, and they want to know what I do for work, right? You know, it's like what I do defines kind of who I am. And so, you know, this career thing, it's a big deal, because that's going to be what you say at parties about who you are. You know, it kind of defines you in the world, and it's going to control your schedule, God knows, for much of your life. Hopefully, it'll pay off all that obscene debt you're going to incur to get your career, and make you a bunch more money beyond that debt so you can, you know, lifestyle. That's how we often think about work. Big career, big career ideas. But work, you know, work is just so much more interesting than a job or a career. It's so much more enriching, so much more ennobling than all of that. And I want to begin today by just exploring something kind of basic, and that is why work is good. Why work is good. And just so we don't float in the clouds with this, to give us sort of a, some, something to attach our imaginations to, you guys remember in 2012 when Sandy, Superstorm Sandy hit, and a bunch of us one day after the storm went over to Helping Hand Rescue Mission with chainsaws because they had a bunch of trees that had fallen on the back part of their property. And we spent the whole day out there chopping up all these fallen trees and kind of clearing the, clearing the property so that their mission work there could go on. It's a great example of work, and I'd like to just think about what was, just taking that as an example, what was coming together in that experience of work and what each of us that day was encountering in that moment of work, and the very first thing you can see that we were encountering, and this is true of all work, in work we encounter the world beyond us. We were encountering a giant piece of land, well not giant, but a piece of land full of a lot of trees, big trees, fallen trees, and that was kind of the world that we were encountering. We had our chainsaws and we were, you know, I, one way of thinking about work might be this. I'll give this sort of as a definition to think about. As we, as we think about the world beyond us and why encountering that world through work is good. Work is purposeful bodily exertion to draw forth the goods of the world. Think about that with me. Work, if you really think about it, it is purposeful bodily exertion to draw forth the goods of the world. Let's just think about that for a minute. Work always involves your body. Now, that's obvious when it's, you know, like running a chainsaw, and it's, it's using your physical body, and that's why a lot of times what we call manual labor, people call that real work. Like, if re real work is stuff you do with your physical body. Well, there's something to that, but your brain is also part of your body. 
And when you're using your brain, you know, we think about Adam gardening, you know, till the garden, Adam, that was, that was physical work. That was something he was to do. But also God put Adam to the job, the work of naming the animals, using his mind to think about the nature of these beasts and kind of their interrelations with each other and to sort of categorize and organize them because by organizing nature in his mind and with his words, he was going to be able to draw forth the potentials of, of the world even more because he could work with these animals now with more understanding of kind of what they're about. So both the, the physical body but also the brain, our bodies are acting in work but we're acting on the world. The world beyond our heads. It could be a field full of plants. It could be a herd of animals, maybe a machine, maybe a warehouse full of commodities, a disease, a language. It could be a classroom full of children. It might be an abstract problem, like what on earth really happens to matter and energy in a black hole? Well, you're really just running with mathematical calculations. But in, every, in all of that, even if it's going on in your head, is, is acting upon the world, wrestling with the world beyond your head. And that is true, and this is curious, that, is, that, that idea of work as, as acting on the world, that's even true when the part of the world that you are acting on is your own mind or body. Because if you think about an artist, for example, an artist is working, let's say, with paint or with clay or you know, with a pen and paper, and so you can see that there's an acting on the stuff of the world, but that artist is also, in a way, acting upon her own mind to draw forth the ideas that end up being in that sculpture or, pa or painting or whatever. And there's a reason when we're working on our own bodies, we call it a workout, because I am seeking to draw forth my physical potentials in that act of work. So I'm both the actor and the world on which I'm acting. But I said it's purposeful. It's purposeful acting on the world, bodily exertion to act upon the world, to draw forth its potentials. There's purpose in work. There is always some idea that there's a good here to be drawn forth. That there's, actually it is making the world, it's at least attempting to make the world a better place you know, even like a demolition project, you know, say, take a dilapidated old building, we're going like, to knock it down, clear it away. What are we doing? We're opening up the world for better things. We're drawing forth more of the potential of that space. That's what we were doing that day up at the Helping Hand Rescue Mission. We were making that property more functional by clearing away the debris. And it is interesting that in work, that purposeful drawing forth the goods of the world, that drawing forth, beloved, notice this, it is itself a reward. There is worth in the work, not just in getting paid. So you look at this sluggard and his house and his yard. This guy probably wouldn't get out of bed even if you paid him, but he can see no value in clearing up his yard and taking care of his house. He sees no value in what God has entrusted to him. There is value in the work itself in producing good, whether you're paid for it or not. And because he's not making money, he's like, well, forget this. That's how a sluggard thinks. And what is interesting, that's what creates poverty. It is not lack of resources ultimately that creates poverty. It is a mindset about the resources you have that will drive you into poverty for sure. So it's acting on the world beyond us. That's the first encounter. But it's interesting, we don't just encounter the world in work. We encounter each other, a second encounter. We encounter each other in work. Work is inherently social if you think about it. No sooner did God put Adam in the garden to work and to till it than he gave him a helper, right? With his helper, he was going to work. And actually for 
this helper he was going to work. The goods of the world there in that garden could not be drawn forth by Adam alone. Certainly the world beyond the garden he couldn't draw forth its goods but alone. And, and, and the fruits of the work were not for him alone. Adam was not going to just you know, till the garden and, and, and harvest it and sit in a, you know, some warehouse somewhere and eat it all himself. He was working with his helper and he was working for Eve and his children and you know, the, his neighbors in time. And, and that's true of all work. You know, not all work, not all jobs have co-workers. I know some of you work alone. I do. But no matter what work you're doing, even if you don't have co-workers you sort of sit next to and work next to all day, you will th- if you think about your work, you will find that all work occurs in a society that involves kind of, it involves several things, like training is one. Even if you are an artist who learned how to do your art by reading books in a library, you're still part of this fraternity of people who have been thinking about art over the centuries, right? You're part of this society. You're, you're learning from your, your skill from others. And there's always in our work some network, we'll call it, although I think community is a better word, some community of other people who are at, lo- they're at least doing things related to my work, you, you know, even if they're not necessarily doing the same job that I do or, or working in the same office, there's this network of people doing related things. So we're all, work is with people, and all true work is for people. It's doing something for someone. If I'm spooning food into my mouth, that's not work. If I'm spooning, spooning food into your mouth in a nursing home, that is work. That is working for, we work for. And for all the ways that the social side of work can can go really bad, as we'll see in a moment, there is something about working with other people for some good that is such a powerful bonding experience. I mean, even an afternoon chopping up trees in the backyard up at Helping Hand Rescue Mission, I'll never forget that. It was a seriously bonding time, and it creates almost something, a sense of something kind of inviolable, almost something sacred here. I remember being on a job site one time, and we had all been working long, long and hard, really like sweating over this task, and this guy showed up on the job site, and he walked straight to the box of donuts. And I got to tell you, loving Christian man that I am, I just wanted to go imposed some donut face paint on that guy because he walked in and he started taking the rewards without the work it made me angry you have violated something here we're a band of brothers doing our thing here and you're walking in because you want donuts a breach of fellowship there's something bonding about work so we encounter the world and we encounter each other but maybe less expected is a third encounter something else coming together and that is we encounter ourselves because it may not be obvious But the exertions that we engage in to draw forth the goods of the world, those exertions are also summoning us. Work, the exertions of work, whether with my mind or my physical body, it is calling forth, just the work itself is calling forth my potentials. It is providing a channel in which my powers, such as they are, can run. And it gives order to my activities, where I'm not just sort of aimlessly drifting around. I have a certain coherence to my exertions in life through this work. It, and, and again, you, ha- you can contrast this with the psychology of the sluggard, whose potential is deteriorating, even as his stubbornness and his irrational excuses is increasing. Oh, the lion in the street. And so he lies in bed, creaking like a door. Boy, there's a productive human being. His potentials are actually weakening as his crazy ideas about the world, which are just excuses really, are becoming more and more stubborn. And this calling forth of ourselves through work, it's why the old word for work was what? You know it. 
vocation. From the Latin vocare, to call. Work was a calling. My exact place in this world with the opportunities that it affords around me for work, that is calling me. God is calling me in and through this situation. He is calling forth the gifts that he's given me. He's calling forth the powers that are within me that might be suited to this opportunity. God is calling me. And it's a deep biblical principle, you know this well, that if you will not respond faithfully to God's calling you where you are, then any idea of some greater calling, whether it's the kind of secular follow your heart variety or the Christian God's will for my life variety, any idea of that greater calling, if you won't respond where you are, is a fool's quest. Faithful in the little callings, faithful in the great callings, because God is calling you right where you are. God is summoning us, and we meet ourselves in our work. That's why work is good. The encounter with the world is good, with each other, with ourselves. But now, let's for a moment think about how work goes bad. You know, we thought about why work is good, but let's get real. How does work go bad? Because what I've said so far may sound pretty rose-tinted, but you know it's not this way necessarily on the street, and the Bible is brutally honest about how what we call the fall of man, our rebellion against our maker, created major problems in work. You can see these in every one of the three encounters we've just mentioned, right? Think about how frustrating work can be. The world can be frustrating. So we encounter the world in our work, but the world can be frustrating. I mean, despite your best exertions, despite your best laid plans for good in the world, there are no guarantees, are there? There just are no guarantees. The world may not respond to your exertions. The crops may fail. The machine may break. Disease may ravage. A virus, even. The solution to the problem may just elude your brain, no matter how much you pound on it with your brain. You just cannot break through. We can labor so much, and it can reap so little. And the reality is, and this is heavy stuff to think about, God may not bless your work. And he may not bless your work even though you're a righteous man or woman. You may be walking faithfully and blamelessly before God, and God just chooses not to bless your work. That's sometimes very hard to sort out. God may appear to just be deliberately blighting your efforts, even in a, in a good cause, even in a cause to which he has called you. I've had times in my life, I'm like, God, I don't understand. You tell me to, you probably heard me say this, I stand at the plate, you tell me to take a swing, the only thing is you didn't give me a bat. You call me to something, don't give me the resources for it. I'm standing here with the fastballs flying, trying to figure out how to hit what you've told me to hit, and I don't have a bat because you've deprived me of the bat. And that's, those are hard times when you're trying to do the very thing God has said, and he's not blessing it. That's real. The world can be frustrating. How about other people? I mean, I don't need to tell you this. People in work can be so frustrating. Your coworker may be a sloth. Your coworker may be a saboteur who is deliberately undermining you or others in their ability to work well. And management, those who are managing work, you know this, they can make the working conditions you're working in un- almost unbearable to you. They can assign tasks that seem to have no discernible purpose whatsoever, and it's just frustrating. They can deny you compensation for your work. They can exact impossible hours. All these are ways that work, people are frustrating in work. And it can even be sort of bigger stuff, you know, whole social structures that we're working within can just implode. Maybe a lockdown, let's say, where the whole social structure is gridlocked suddenly. Or those larger social structures can oppress. I mean, it's not like it ever happens, of course, in our corporate capitalist society, but it does sometimes happen that those who profit from work, 
who profit from labor have absolutely no reason to pay attention to the well-being of those doing the actual work. Like, that's a thing. People are frustrating in work. And we can be frustrating. We encounter ourselves in work, but sometimes that encounter, have you ever been frustrated by that encounter in work? I've met Ben. (laughs) And now we've got a problem. Because sometimes as we're responding to the opportunities and the calling and the demands of work that summon us to come forth and answer God's call, sometimes I've found myself in that work growing stronger, wiser, more competent. But I, like many of you, have found myself at other times in the very work finding myself, as I meet Ben Miller, finding myself exhausted and defeated and unequal to the task. And you know, beyond these, because those are problems that have afflicted workers in every culture and every time, but beyond those perennial problems, I think we might reflect just briefly on those problems that have been added by a very contemporary phenomenon, and that is the unrooting of work from place. That work in our lives, and this is very unusual historically, has been unrooted from our home, unrooted from land that we live on, unrooted from the local community with whom we share our place, that's created a whole other set of frustrations for the modern worker. Among them, that work today very often is extremely removed from the physical world. Most of us are not working, most of us are not working in touch with the physical world anymore. We are far removed from it, often sitting in boxes we've built for ourselves, completely out of touch with even fresh air, let alone the physical world beyond. And what is interesting is that that has created over time a tremendous, tremendous generational loss of skills that are needed to tend the delicate life forms and life systems of the world that God has given to us to steward. Many people today have no idea how to work with the world, the actual world God has made to sustain our life. And many people today have no interest in tending to the world. And we have a whole generation that is being de-skilled in just knowing how to work with the world. I mean, there are people that don't even know how to mow their grass. They're that incompetent with the world. And that is just a problem that is being more and more aggravated as we tend to offload manual labor now to automation and to machines. But a far, I think, more psychologically troubling problem as work has been unrooted from place. I think most of you deal with this, is that your work is now totally disconnected from the rest of your life and the rest of your relationships. Can you think about this with me for a minute? The, whatever good it is that is being pursued in your workplace, like whatever the good is that that workplace exists to, to promote and to produce, I'm guessing that good has absolutely nothing to do with the flourishing of your place where you live and the people who live there. Most of us today do not work with those we live with. We do not even work for those we live with other than the fact that we make money that could benefit those that we live with. The work itself has nothing to do with the people back home, nothing to do with my neighborhood, nothing to do with my people or my place. I mean, I'm making money, so hopefully that eventually, but what happens with this separation is that then my work is taking time and energy, a lot of time and energy that I would otherwise invest in living with and living for those God has put me among to live with. And so there is this sense of work competing with my life and my relationships. There was no work-life balance problem before we unrooted work from place. And many people today find themselves haunted by this sense that more and more we are laboring for these faraway corporate machines and interests 
because my work itself produces nothing of value to anyone I love, which puts a heck of a lot of pressure on your paycheck. Your work produces nothing of value for anybody you love, which means that paycheck better be worth it because that's all you've got to take back home to your people and your place. And many people today find themselves feeling not so much summoned by their work as used, that we are like drones, we are like cogs in these corporate machines. Lots of ways work can go wrong. But I want to then turn finally to just how work is redeemed. So why work is good and how work goes bad, but how work is redeemed. You know what the word redeemed means? It means to buy back from slavery. And it is very interesting to me that the first major, major salvation event in the Bible is God freeing slaves. So they no longer have to work as slaves, but they can now learn to work as sons and daughters of God and as stewards. And what I'd like to say to you today is that Christ's work on the cross and in the resurrection, this well-known reality that Jesus took my sins and your sins and he took the punishment for those sins, the curse for those sins upon himself and exhausted that curse. He has offered to God perfect righteousness for me so that I stand before God clothed in his righteousness and God sees me as righteous as Christ himself and that I am adopted by God as my father through Jesus and he is now, I will inherit his kingdom because of Jesus and I I have the Holy Spirit of God given to me to cry out in my heart every day, Abba, Father, and to teach me to live as his child. That great work that is Christ's work alone. I didn't contribute one single thing to any of that and neither did you, but it is that work that has made us Sons, and I use sons because sons inherited in Scripture. Sons and stewards. Think about how Christ's work has made you a son of God. Even if you're a woman, you are a son of God in the sense that you will inherit. Sons and stewards. Sons first. Oliver O'Donovan says something so beautiful about, about family and how family prepares us for work. Because he says, do you realize that little people in your family, they are loved and they belong before they do any work at all. My kids had never washed a dish, never vacuumed a floor, never done one single thing to benefit me, and I was all, all in love with them. And that is a picture of how God is. You and I don't work. See, the reality is through Jesus alone, as a free gift, my sins are totally forgiven. I stand before God. The biblical word is justified. I am, I, it's like I never sinned. I am as righteous before God as Jesus himself because Jesus gave me his righteousness. I'm accepted by God. I am loved by my Father in heaven and I have, beloved, listen to this, I have no burden to secure any of that through my work. Do you realize how freeing that is? Do you, do you ever notice how many people in this world really do work for recognition? How many of them try to find in the admiration of other people or in their own sense of accomplishment some kind of validation of their worth? You ever meet people that, are you this kind of person? I wrestle with this. Trying to find either another's admiration or my own sense I've accomplished something, kind of a validation of my existence, a validation of my worth. That, you're just freed from that through Jesus. Some people really try to make up for deficiencies that they feel in one part of life by their professional accomplishments. You know, I'm a horrible dad, but I'm a good worker. I'm a wretched friend, but I'm a hard worker. And you know what? We're just like freed. I, I, don't, I can't make up for my deficiencies through, you know, trying to accomplish things professionally. Jesus has delivered me from my deficiencies, and now I just need to like learn to live as a child of God in every single part of my life, including my work, but in every part of my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I don't have to like offset things by my achievements. And at the worst, you find that there are people who really do try. Some of you might wrestle with this. I have where you're really kind of fundamentally trying to assure yourself 
that God is favorable toward you because you just have enough fruit in your basket at the end of the day. And there's a beautiful verse in Ecclesiastes that says, go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart because God has already approved what you do. You can work hard and you can eat and drink and be merry hard because God has already approved what you do. You have acceptance before you work. That also says a lot about your future as sons. As a son of God, you have no need to secure your future by your work. Whatever you're doing right now, if you're working to secure your future, you don't understand work as a child of God. Your work is not to secure your future. God secures your future. And so you can plan and you can labor as those who have already been secured. And I'm going to go right out on a limb here and say something. I think it is therefore a huge shame and tragedy and loss that in the modern world, we no longer keep Sabbath. Because Sabbath is how you remind yourself, I'm a son of God. I am loved before I work. I am settled without ever doing anything. My future is secure because of God, not me. Sabbath, that's what it's about. And we don't want to keep Sabbath because God forbid we be legalists. Well, our loss, I say, that is a ritual we need to recover because we're sons and we are stewards through Jesus' work alone. Through Jesus, now the earth is my Father's world. And that means that every work in this world, every encounter I have with the world before me, that is God's, that is my Father's gift to me, and that is my Father's call to me. I'm in my Father's world all the time, and it is for Him that I hone my skills. It is for Him that I build my resources. It is for Him that I seek to cultivate opportunities. And that sense that I am at every moment God's steward, my Father's steward, I'm working in His kingdom, His workshop, His world, what that does is it frees me from the way of the sluggard. Because now the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, steward of God, do it how? Do it heartily. Do it passionately. Do it with all of you. And it also frees me not only from the the way of the sluggard, but from the way of the careerist. Because we are told whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever work you do, do it all to whose glory? My career is not about me. My career is about the glory of God. And I'm freed from that drivenness of trying to find glory in my work. I'm just free. I'm a steward. Give me opportunities because God is calling me and everything that presents itself to me. And I don't have to worry about being this high-flung careerist. I'm just doing everything I do to the glory of God. It also frees us, this stewardship, from being servile before human masters. What, how do you respond if you're a first-century slave about God's call to work? Because you're working under the lash of a human master. Ah, but as God's steward, you're not. Because everything you do, even in that slavery, is for your higher master. It is his call I'm responding to. I do not bow in my heart before before man. I serve the Lord Christ, who is my master's master as well. And this stewardship frees me from futility because no matter how frustrating my work might be under the sun, because I am God's steward responding to his call, Paul says, you may know that your labors are not in vain in the Lord. We have been made sons and stewards by Christ. It totally changes our work. But here's the last thing, and I'm, a little, I'm going out on a limb a little bit here. What I want to say to you about how work is redeemed, we're redeemed as sons, redeemed as stewards, that totally changes work. But I want to say this last thing. Redemption of work has got to go beyond knowing who we are in our work, sons and stewards, Redemption of work has got to go beyond just simply why we work, my motive as a son, my motive as a steward. And redemption of work has got to go all the way to work itself. And I want to close with a very practical, and I'm going to 
I'm going to imagine controversial challenge to you young ones, because you know this series is for you. Most of you, you have the, most of your life's work ahead of you, and I want to give this challenge to you about work. You are God's children. You are God's stewards. You are God's agents of renewal. So I want to encourage you guys with all my heart as follows. Do not participate in work systems, number one, that destroy the goods of the world in the name of efficiency. Do not participate in work systems that destroy and damage the goods of this created world in the interest of efficiency. Get out of those systems. Do not enter those systems. If you're working for anyone or anything that is ruining God's creation because it makes things more efficient and pads the corporate bottom line, get out. Do not participate in work systems, secondly, that alienate workers from their places and the people where they live. Do not participate in work systems that alienate workers from the places and the people where they actually live. Here's, a, here's two examples. Do not participate in work systems that demand seven-hour work weeks. That is alienating people from worship. It is alienating people from the places and the people that God has called them to live with and live for. Get out of that work system. Do not participate in a work system that obstructs motherhood or obstructs fatherhood. If you're working for a, any work system that makes a woman choose between me, a mother and a worker, that is a system that is in violation of God's design. Don't support it. Don't work for it. If it makes, fathers, it makes it harder for fathers to be fathers, you need to reevaluate your involvement in that work system because it is alienating people from the life God has made them for. Do not participate in work systems that use people to perform functions or to make products that are worthless for human flourishing, but great for corporate profits. There are people, millions of people now working in this world, and they are being forced, well, not forced, they are being, it is being demanded of them that they perform functions and make products that are absolutely worthless to human flourishing. They have nothing to do with making life more like God designed it to be. In fact, they are detracting from human flourishing. And yet they're sort of blackmailed into this sometimes by pay structures and, and corporate almost, well, manipulation in the interest of money. Don't participate in work systems in which the possible is the only measure of the good. Some of you are going into science and engineering and design careers. Do not participate in work systems in which the possible, what is possible, is the only measure of the good. There are things that are possible that are evil. There are things that are possible that are destructive. There are things that are possible that ravage people and places. The possible is not the only measure of the good. And do not participate in work systems, even more so, where the only measure of the good is what makes money. I'm going to close with a statement from a friend of mine that might be a little bit shocking, but I think he's absolutely right. He said, the economy, the economy that values work that does not promote the health and life of local places, the economy that values work that does not promote 
The health and life of local places must be torn to the ground with all possible speed. You want to be a real activist? Get on that train. Because we are living in an economy that glamorizes work that does nothing to promote the health and life of local places and in fact in many ways undermines it. That's a place for Christian activism. Now, I already know what many of you are thinking and it's with me too. What has lurked in the background throughout this whole conversation about work is the problem of the paycheck. Which is why next week we're going to turn our attention from the hand to the purse. But enough for today. Father, thank you that we can work as your children, work as your stewards, and in an economy, Lord, that in so many ways is, has set itself against the life for which you made people. Give us your wisdom, give us courage, and even if it means we make less money, give us the goodness that comes in doing what you made us to do. In Jesus we pray, amen.